What did participants love the most? Two things, community and simplicity. They loved the group setting, the accountability, the motivation. It kept everyone going and engaged and we talked every day. And when people were down on themselves a little bit, we lifted them up. It was awesome. The second thing was simplicity. Several people found that this challenge was easier to adhere to than expected. And that was a huge one because I didn't, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen. But within about four or five days, people were saying, you know what? This isn't so bad. Welcome to the Wits and Weights podcast. I'm your host, Philip Pape, and this twice a week podcast is dedicated to helping you achieve physical self-mastery by getting stronger, optimizing your nutrition, and upgrading your body composition. We'll uncover science-backed strategies for movement, metabolism, muscle, and mindset with a skeptical eye on the fitness industry so you can look and feel your absolute best. Let's dive right in. Wits and Weights community, welcome to another solo episode of the Wits and Weights podcast. In our last episode 115, how Tony lost 15 pounds, 8% body fat, and built lifelong strength with barbell training, I sat down with my friend, fellow lifter, and client, Tony, to talk about his transformative journey, the intricacies of nutrition and barbell training, and the mental hurdles along the way. Tony's insights could radically change your perspective and approach to fitness, nutrition, and health, so definitely check that out. Today, for episode 116, seven lessons from my rapid fat loss microcut. It's finally here. I will be going over my recent microcut, which was a 14-day rapid fat loss phase, how to set it up, and all of my results, including how well I was able to adhere to the protocol, how I handled nutrition, how all my measurements changed, including, of course, the fat loss itself, uh, changes in biofeedback, my training, and the results of the group challenge that we ran concurrently with my self-experiment, where seven participants of the Wits and Weights Facebook community did their own fat loss phases along with me following the same protocol, and then they shared their results with us. Then I'll talk about some of the limitations and findings of aggressive dieting. And finally, the seven lessons I learned that will help anyone following such a protocol get through it successfully, mitigate hunger, things like that, and of course, hold on to as much muscle as possible. If you want the exact protocol I followed, just click the link in my show notes or go to witsandweights.com slash free to download it along with lots of other free guides, but look for the free rapid fat loss guide specifically for this episode. Okay, you all know that in addition to producing a podcast, I love listening to them. So going forward, every now and then, I'm going to give a shout out to other shows that are aligned with my principles and values, so you can check them out for yourself. So today's shout out is to Leah and Kamna of the Wait What podcast. So that's Wait, W-E-I-G-H-T, just like Wits and Weights, and then What, W-H-A-T, with a question mark. Wait What? I really like their show because they give weight loss a nuanced, complex treatment, just like we do on this show. And I asked them to send me a summary that I could share with my audience, so here we go. Weight loss sucks as anyone who's tried to lose weight knows. You think you have it figured out, and then suddenly things change and you're back to square one. This process can be so frustrating, and it doesn't take much to fall off the path. The podcast Weight What? does a deep dive about so many things that can impact our weight, and the hosts experiment to find possible solutions and let you know the results of their experiments. Take a listen to Weight What? today to know that you aren't alone in these struggles, and there are solutions 
that may also work for you. All right. And I'm going to include a link to that podcast in my show notes as well. So you can check them out. And what I really love is the idea of trying to understand all the things that impact your weight and performing self-experimentation, which is actually highly relevant to today's topic. So give some love to Leah and Kamna and subscribe to the Weight What podcast. Okay. Before I get into all the fun details about the microcut, I wanted to share a couple recent five-star reviews, which I haven't done in a while. So, and we're up to, I think, 80 now. It was last time I did this, we were probably around 50-something. So they're really coming in fast and furious. And if you're listening and love this show, one of the best things you can do to support it is to go to Apple and leave a five-star rating and review because the more reviews we have, the more people will know that it's a good fit for them, something that they call social proof. It actually doesn't affect the algorithm or the rankings in full disclosure from what I understand, but it does help people see, hey, others like this show and here's why, and that's what I'm looking for. So the first review is from Cool Kid Wyatt, and I think I know exactly who this person is, and if he's listening, he knows I've I've figured it out. (laughs) Eye-opening nutrition advice. I spent 10 years getting nutrition advice from fitness books, Reddit, and fitness influencers on YouTube. It was fine, but everyone had something different to say, and I felt stuck not really knowing who to believe or what was right for me. Philip Show gives advice that is freeing and empowering. I started feeling a lot more confident about my nutrition and habits after listening to this show, hearing his guests, seeing how he can connect all the dots in a simple and logical way. I have more confidence and pride in eating habits now than I have in the past decade. Awesome. I love that review because it just talks about all the the buttons that that we push here in terms of the confidence and the habits and, you know, simple, logical, doing things sustainably, right? All of this stuff. So I love that review. Uh, The second review is from Rachel K. Hancock, and the title is Balance. This podcast helps you develop healthy habits without demanding you give up your favorite foods and activities. It's more about mindfulness and setting up successful behavioral change toward a better life. I appreciate the host's knowledge and expertise. Well, thank you so much for that one as well, because again, it hit hit the nail on the head with the sustainability and flexibility, enjoying your favorite foods, mindfulness, behavioral change. That's really what it's all about. Okay, so I could definitely spend a half hour going over reviews, but I'm not going to do that. It is time to dive into seven lessons from my rapid fat loss microcut. Okay, and now I'm actually pulling these from a white paper that I put together that I actually shared with Dr. Bill Campbell recently. He's going to get me some feedback. And I'll probably make it available publicly, but if you're interested in it, you could always reach out. And I'm going to go over the whole process, how you can set this up, the results, all of that. So in October of 2023, I decided to run an aggressive fat loss phase. And I, I called it a micro cut, as opposed to a mini cut, which tends to be anywhere from like four to 10 weeks long, or a standard cut, which is even longer than that. So this was for 14 days, and I wanted to figure out if a very large calorie deficit could be used effectively to induce mostly fat loss. And by mostly fat loss, I mean avoiding muscle loss as much as possible and the majority of the weight loss being fat. So as a nutrition coach, I'm also curious whether this approach is feasible for my clients. So what did I do? I recruited uh, 12 volunteers from the Wits and Weights Facebook community to participate and follow along in a challenge format. And the goal wasn't to lose X number of pounds. 
The goal is to learn about themselves and also to share their what they learn as part of, you know, to help with the research, to help with this podcast, to help you as the listener learn about their experiences. Now, of the 12 volunteers, and, and by the way, we had like something like 30 or 40 who actually registered and followed along in some way, but 12 actually signed up to do the challenge directly. And of the 12, seven completed it and then shared their final data uh, with their consent with me. So I'm going to go over the exact protocol, my experience, the results of the challenge, and so on, so that you know exactly what you're getting into if you want to try this yourself, and you can replicate it yourself. And as I mentioned earlier, you can get the exact protocol, go to witsandweights.com slash free, or click the link in the show notes if you want to do it yourself. Now, the one caveat I do want to mention is that I had left rotator cuff surgery about 12 weeks before starting the protocol, and that affected my training. I had gotten back to normal lifting um, a few weeks after my surgery, except for my injured arm or my recovering arm. And then I started to build from there with mostly a linear progression. So, and I'm still kind of doing that, um, but I am using all my limbs now. My arm's good. It's it's about 80, 90% range of motion now. But what this means is I was training sub-maximally versus my recent one rep max loads but I'm still applying the principles of progressive overload, mechanical tension, and all that to ensure sufficient training stimulus. So if I did this again in the future when I'm 100% healthy, the results may have been different. Just a little caveat there. All right, so first I want to talk about the setup. All right, I before you do anything like this, it's good to think about what do you want to track, what kind of data do you want to collect so you know that it actually worked, and you can learn what you might change in the future. Because later on in the show, I'm going to share the things that I think could be changed or experimented with to maybe make it more effective. So here's what I decided to collect. Uh, Of course, weight loss data. So scale weight and trend weight. Trend weight is calculated in Macrofactor. Macrofactor is the app that I use and all my clients and all my challenge participants used to track their food and their weight and their trend weight because it also calculates your expenditure. Um... If you haven't heard Macrofactor before, I've talked about it a lot on the show, but you can download the app, use my code WITS and WAITS, all one word, WITS and WAITS, get an extra free week on your free trial, give it a shot, let me know what you think. Anyway, weight loss, scale weight, and trend weight. I also um, have my training logs. So am I maintaining performance with my strength, with my progression? I also tracked biofeedback, but I really only did it at the beginning and the end um, because I'm pretty much in tune with that on a regular basis anyway, and it's only two weeks long. So the biofeedback would include things like hunger, digestion, sleep, stress, energy, mood, and recovery. And these are good indicators because if any of those go uh, decline more than you would expect or decline a lot during this challenge or during this, um, I'm sorry, during this fat loss protocol, it's a potential variable to tweak later on. Like if you want to improve and prevent it from declining as much. Another thing I measured was change in body circumference measurements. So for me, that was my neck, waist, chest, biceps, and thighs as another way to tell, okay, how much fat did I lose? And also, did I lose any muscle? And then finally, I tracked my change in body composition based on two things. The U.S. Navy formula, so that's for me based on my neck and waist. For the ladies, that's neck, waist, and hips. And then I also took some in-body scans. Now you're saying, oh, in-body, I thought you didn't agree with body fat measurement devices. I don't. I, I don't like these. I don't think they're very precise. However, the trend can be a lot more reliable than the value. 
So I, I took it anyway and I used the data and I kind of averaged it out with the Navy formula to give you a conservative uh, view on my results. And all that's available if anybody wants to see it. Okay. Demographics. I'm a male. I'm 42 years old. I'm 5'9". Good to know. <laughs> my starting weight was 184.9. And my expenditure when I started this was 2,800 calories. Here's another important point. If you are smaller, if you're a female, you tend to have a lower expenditure, let's say less than 2,000 calories. This is going to be very hard compared to other types of fat loss phases because you're still going to have to go into a deep deficit and that deep deficit puts you into a level of calories that makes it so critical that you do meal planning and prioritize things like protein, fiber, et cetera. And it's just a very fine dance you have to play. And so it's not recommended for everyone. As I said in the title, it's not for everyone. Your expenditure is an important consideration here. So mine's 2,800, which is reasonable to, to drop. Even if I drop, you know, 1,200 calories, I'm still in the mid 1,500s, which is where I'm going to end up for this, as we'll see in a moment. But if you start at like 1,500 calories, well, now you're dropping to like 800, which is, you're getting into the range where it's a little bit dangerous and unsustainable. Granted, it's only for two weeks. So just keep all that in mind. Okay. So what does the protocol look like? It's based on 14 days on the calendar. 12 days of those are in a significant deficit of 45%. And two of those are refeed days where you come back up to your maintenance calories with mostly carbs. So it's the first four days you're in a deficit of 45%. Then day five is a refeed at maintenance. Then the next four days, 45%. Then day 10 is a refeed at maintenance. And then the final four days you finish out the, the dieting phase. So that's it. Now, key to this are the macros. We want to keep the protein high. Now, for this protocol, the target was one gram per pound. For me, that meant I, I started at 185. I expected to end at 180. So I just went with the 180 grams. You can do it at your current weight, your target, whatever. It's not going to be much difference because it's a short protocol anyway. And as you'll learn later, it may be more valuable to go with a higher target for protein, but at least that one gram per pound. Fats, somewhere between 20 and 30% of calories. So for me, it was around 23%. And then carbohydrates are your remaining calories. So for me, when you take it all together, 2,800 calorie expenditure, 45% deficit, I was eating, I was targeting 1,540 calories on the deficit days, which is pretty low for me. And then back up to 2,800 calories on the two refeed days. So if you want to set this up yourself, you're going to start with your current expenditure, your maintenance calories, and you're going to multiply by 0.55 to get your calorie intake. 0.55, because you're going to be in a 45% deficit. So what's the opposite of 45%? 55%. So multiply by 0.55, that's how much you're going to eat on the deficit days. All right. Then you're going to set your protein to one gram per pound based on your body weight. Then you're going to set your fat to 20 to 30% of the calories. And then your carbohydrates are the remaining calories. All this is spelled out in the guide if, if you want that. Your training during fat loss is, in my opinion, continue doing what you're doing, assuming you're already following a program that is sufficiently stressful, has progressive overload, and the appropriate load to cause you to uh, get a muscle building signal. Okay? That's the principle of it. For me personally, what did I do? Well, I was doing a three-day-per-week full-body program with three to four compound lifts and one to two accessory movements. 
And a lot of the compound lifts were on a linear progression because, as I said before, I was recovering from surgery. So you're talking in one session, I might do safety bar squats, deadlifts, barbell rows, and then maybe some back work and some you know accessory like arm work, bicep, tricep work. So five or six movements, usually about 90 minute long sessions, but three days a week. Interestingly, now that I'm back to a slight surplus, I'm I'm now in a four-day split. But I didn't want to change anything going to the fat loss phase. I wanted to balance recovery with intensity. Because the key here is to keep the training stimulus high. All right. My step count target was 12,000 steps per day. As you'll see, I came pretty close to that. And then, I, as I mentioned, what the things we're going to measure, right? When do we measure those things? Well, on the first day, the morning of the first day, and then the morning of the day after the thing is done, you want to take your biofeedback so that your hunger, sleep, stress, all of that, your body circumference measurements, and then calculate your body fat. So that's the beginning and the end. Every day during the challenge, you're also going to measure your scale weight, you're going to log your food, and then on training days, you're going to log your training. So that's pretty much it. Okay, so I ran this from October 2nd to Sunday, so that's a Monday, through Sunday, October 15th. Um, and we're going to start with the food side of things here. <clears throat> so I mentioned what my intake uh, targets were, and I'm going to tell you what my actual was, right? So I tracked everything, and I looked at my deficit days, my refeed days, and my total average. So on deficit, deficit days, I was going for 1540 calories. I ended up at 1548. These are averages for the whole time. So that was pretty close. I was about 1% over. Which is more, which is fine. I'm looking for within five percent, and you're good. Protein, I aimed for 180 grams, and I actually came in at around 170. So I was a little bit under at 94 percent of what I intended. So that right there stuck out to me as an opportunity in the future if I were to do this again to bump up the protein. All right, my refeed days kind of similar. I aimed for 2800, came in at 2802 on average. So I was pretty locked in on that, and then the protein was actually more than enough on those days at 193. So when you average it all out for the 14 days, here's what you get. My average target was 1720 calories. My actual was 1727 calories. So I was pretty much, it rounds out to about 100% adherence. My protein target was 180 grams. My average was 172. So that was 96% of the target. Uh, fats and carbs are variable. They don't matter so much. What I did find is that on refeed days, I couldn't quite bump the carbs all the way up to my target because some fat increased as well. But I think that's okay as long as you have a nice bump in that, those um, carbs for the refeed. All right, so I want to dive in a little bit on the nutrition observations that I had from this microcut. Um, immediately on day one, I noticed that this was a serious deficit. If you go on one of these things and you jump right away, um, you might notice that hunger, it's going to be different. You're going to have to plan your meals differently. You might end up cutting out a snack or meal. It, it's a big change, right? I was I had been in a slight surplus above 2,800 calories, and now I'm eating only 1,540. So this required careful meal planning. That's one of my takeaways. Um, it's not one of the seven lessons that I titled the show with. That comes at the end, but there are actually a lot of lessons in here. So I could have called it like 27 lessons. Uh, let's see. So even with meal planning, and what does meal planning look like for me? Well, I did a whole episode called The Perfect Meal Plan, where it's really um, very personalized to you and your goals. But for me, this is just, what does a Monday through Friday look like? When am I going to eat? What am I going to eat? How am I, how am I getting my protein? And just kind of think about it and make sure I have the food in the, in the kitchen, in the pantry. 
in the, in the fridge in the pantry. Okay. Now, even when I did this, I had a few pre-planned events. I had a couple nights out and visiting family that were already planned ahead, right? If this was a perfect situation, you would have just total routine for two weeks. And I think we had one or two challenge members that were in that situation, but life is life, right? And hey, if you can handle this kind of phase when life is being thrown at you like this, then you can handle anything. Um, And my wife loves to cook for us. And so I never know quite what she's going to make or in what quantities, but she always has some sort of meat, some sort of starch or grain, and then some sort of vegetable. So, and she's, she's cool that I don't like finish my plate, right? (laughs) So I kind of, she serves it to me and then I kind of eat what makes sense for what I'm trying to hit for the day. And this is a flexible, sustainable approach, but it did result in a little bit of variance from my overall adherence day to day. But as I said earlier, at the end of, at the end of it, I still was pretty close to hundred percent adherent. And we don't even need to be that precise, just kind of in the ballpark. All right. So I ended up getting the deficit I wanted with proper meal planning. Um, protein. Now, protein is the driving macro for muscle preservation, especially when you're in such a large deficit. So I aimed for that one gram per pound. I averaged 0.96 grams per pound. Um, and when I was in the deficit, protein represented almost 50% of my calories. Whereas on refeed days, it's only like a quarter of your calories. So if I ran this protocol again, I'd probably set my target to like 1.1 or 1.2 grams per pound or even higher as a stretch goal or, or a real goal even to drive more precise meal planning, timing, distribution, and hit that target and really hold on to all that muscle. Okay, fats. So we all love fats. I mean, I'm a big meat eater. I like dairy. I prefer fattier cuts of meat, fish. And I did make some changes, like I had some white fish instead of salmon. I bought some low-fat dairy, like cottage cheese instead of full fat. Um, The few instances of dining out and meals that were not fully in my control, like, again, that lovely wife of mine who cooks, resulted in a bit higher fat intake than planned. And I don't think this is a quote-unquote bad thing. It's just one of those preferences of mine that I can better account for with future protocols like this. Like maybe I will deliberately set my fat a little bit higher knowing that the, the carbs come down a bit. Um, on refeed days, I deliberately brought the fats up along with the carbs just because of the types of composition of foods I was eating. And I sort of violated the mostly carbs approach, but but not necessarily violating the spirit of a refeed, which is just getting all this extra energy in, restoring your um, your leptin and restoring your glycogen and all that. So, and if it sounds like I'm rationalizing, I'm really not. I'm, I'm just suggesting that you don't even have to be perfect and you can still get great results. Carbs. So <laughs> carbs were the sacrificial lamb on deficit days. So I, I went from a building phase where I was eating like 400 grams of carbs a day to now barely over hundred grams. So for me, that was like going to keto, not quite, but still it was a big adjustment. So what I did is I reduced or replaced most starches and grains, not all, right? Because again, sustainability. You can include things in the right amounts. I replace most of those with fruits or vegetables, mostly green vegetables. And fiber, which is a carb, was essential for satiety, right? For feeling full. So I added more vegetables to my lunch, my dinner, to compensate for the fewer starches and grains with volume without increasing calories. And that is key here, right? On the refeed days, I just scaled up my routine carbs, like my morning oatmeal. I added grains and starches back in to my peri-workout nutrition, my lunch, my dinner. 
So it's kind of fun actually to see the extremes and kind of live those extremes within the, the two week period and, and play, play around with it. Right. And, and, and learn how to meal plan a little bit more effectively. Um, even after all this time that I've been doing it, there's always room for improvement and going through this process continues to help me empathize with you as the listener who's trying to do this as well as my clients. So overall for the nutrition, I was able to adhere to the planned deficit and the refeed days within about 1% of the target. So energy-wise, this was a success, I would say. Now, if I drilled down into the macros, I was a little bit under on the protein, but still within 5% of the target. If I use the rough rule of thumb of 3,500 calories to represent one pound of body mass change, if I crunch all the numbers, I would have expected 4.3 pounds of body mass weight loss. So 4.3 pounds of weight loss based on my intake. All right. And as we're going to talk about in a second, the actual weight loss was around four and a half to five pounds, which is actually really close to that expected value. And I found that all the other challenge participants to, to, a, to a person had a similar result that whatever deficit they were in induced the expected loss, meaning this stuff is scientific. Um, now, granted, that's a small sample size, and this is an uh, anecdotal, you know, this is not even a research study, right? But it's something that I would expect. It's not a surprise. All right. So moving on to the before and after measurements. As I mentioned before, you know, scale weight, expenditure, circumference, all these things. I'm just going to highlight a few key ones. I have a lot more detail behind this, but I don't want to, you know, bore you to death if you're listening to this and I'm losing you. Hopefully not. This is interesting stuff. Um, let's start with weight. Okay. I measured myself on the home scale and I measured myself with the in body scale. The in body scale was a tiny bit more. I was wearing clothes and it was like 0.3 pounds more. So it could have just been the clothes, to be honest, or t- tolerance in the scales. So I'm going to go with the home scale weight. When I started, I was 184.9. After the microcut, 179.8. So that's a loss of 5.1 pounds on the scale. Now, since I was using Macrofactor, I also had my moving average weight called the trend weight. I started at 183.9, ended at 181.1, which is a loss of 2.8 pounds. Now, in reality, it's somewhere in between because the full 5.1 pounds probably includes some water loss. And then the 2.8 pounds because it's a moving average over three weeks, it was too short of a duration for that to really update enough. So that's where I said, I think the true weight loss is around four and a half pounds, somewhere around there, four, four and a half, five pounds. You know, we're never going to be super precise, but that's in the ballpark. Now, interestingly, my expenditure dropped, okay, from 2,800 calories to about 2,600 calories. So about 200 calorie drop. I would expect some metabolic adaptation, but I also know that this could, this number could be driven by the large fluctuations going on. And I don't know how much to, you know, trust it. Like, did it really drop 200 calories? But everyone in the challenge, their expenditure dropped except one person. And so that's kind of to be expected. Circumference measurements. My waist dropped by 1.4 inches. My neck went down a little by a quarter inch. My chest went down by an inch. And then biceps went down barely, like by 0.2 inches. And thighs went down by six. So all of them came down. If you lose fat, I would expect waist size to come down. So for me, going from almost 34-inch waist to like 32-and-a-half-inch waist in just two weeks, that's pretty cool, right? And if a lot of people are looking for, hey, quick fat loss, get in, get out, no big deal, I can handle the deficit for a short duration. That's really the point of all this, is to see if this is effective. So waist measurement is a good indication of that. The fact that my biceps went down a tiny bit and my thighs went down a bit, maybe that's an indication of fat loss or muscle loss. It's really hard to tell, you know, in, in this short duration. 
Hello, my name is Isis Alvarado, and I just wanted to say a big, big thank you to Philip Pape from Wits and Weights for creating this challenge and giving us the opportunity to expand our comfort zone and for all the support that he gave us throughout the challenge. He was also there doing it with us and always sharing amazing information, support, and uh, giving us the courage to do something that probably we wouldn't have done by ourselves and the inspiration to try something different, to test our limits and definitely to improve not only our bodies, but also our mindset when it comes to uh, healthy lifestyles and what can we do to, to make ourselves better. So thank you. So body composition, I mentioned earlier, I used both the Navy formula and the in-body scan. So according to the Navy formula, my body fat decreased by 2.13% and my lean body mass went up by 0.6 pounds, which I wouldn't quite believe. I would expect a drop in lean body mass. So again, that could be, this could have to do with fluid changes and, and the fact that I'm using a tape measure and imprecision. But there was some at least decrease in body fat, which is important. And we know this because my waist came down. The in-body scan said my body fat percentage went down by 1% and I lost a pound of skeletal muscle mass. I don't think I lost a, a, a full pound of muscle mass. And there's also body water loss in there of 0.2 pounds, right? So what I did is I averaged the two together just to be conservative here. And if you average them, my body fat came down by 1.6%. That's 3.6 pounds of body fat. And my lean mass came down by 0.3 pounds. So if we're going to do ranges here, we would say, okay, I probably lost three or four pounds of fat and I lost maybe a half a pound to a pound of muscle. And that's anywhere from a three to one to four or five to one ratio. Is that good or bad? I don't know. I think it's not bad. I think it's pretty good. I think on a traditional fat loss phase, you would expect something like two to one, maybe three to one if you're lucky. So on a abridged fat loss phase like this, to get a three to one or even four to one, I think is a sign of success. I would have loved to lose zero lean mass, and maybe I did, maybe I didn't. It's very hard to tell. I do know that my training started to plateau at the end there, and I, I lost a rep or two. Whether that's used due to body mass or um, skeletal muscle loss or a significant drop in energy because I was just not eating very many calories, again, it's very hard to tell all of this stuff, which is why we take it all with a grain of salt and we... um you know, we, we, we don't assume the extremes. We assume it's somewhere in the middle. And if you're happy with that kind of in the middle result, then it was successful. That That's sort of my take on that. Okay. So <clears throat> I kind of touched on these, but just to, to review some of the, the details underneath, you know, body weight, body weight fluctuates dramatically from day to day. I mentioned earlier the Weight What podcast. The reason I wanted to mention it is they talk about that all the time there. Leah and Kamna, they talk about... um how weight changes for lots of different reasons, right? Not just from fat uh, accumulation or loss. Um, changes in fluid, changes in glycogen, inflammation, fat mass, all these things affect your body mass. And that's why I like to take measurements every day. If you take it every day, you can A, observe the large variations that are not due to fat mass changes, right? Because it's impossible to you know, gain or lose a pound every day constantly unless you're over-consuming by thousands and thousands of calories every day. Or, or vice versa. 
So that's the first one. And then B, you're able to calculate a moving average based on daily data points and get this more conservative, realistic view of true changes in fat mass. <clears throat> All right. So I mentioned my weight decreased about four to five percent, four to five pounds. Um, so it, it may have been anywhere from three to five pounds. Um, we talked about the expenditure, uh, the decrease of 200 calories, you know, it indicates rapid metabolic adaptation in some way, whether it's really 200 or it's 100 or 300, it's still a lot. It's a lot faster than I would get on a normal fat loss phase. So that's, that's something to be aware of. And that's with increasing my step count going into the fat loss phase as well. Okay. We talked about body fat. Um, I think body fat is kind of a controversial thing to measure in general. I don't always recommend even, even caring about it, so to speak. I'd rather you go by how you feel in your clothes and how you look and how you're performing and all those things, you know, how your clothes fit and so on. But we all like these numbers. So there's a million ways to measure body fat, calipers, bioimpedance scales, DEXA, BODPOD, dunk take, all of this. And they all are prone to some level of error in terms of the absolute value. However, they tend to be a bit more reliable at indicating the trend when the same machine is used by the same person under similar conditions from one observation to the next. Now, personally, I do prefer to use the Navy formula because it's convenient, it's simple, it's just simple math based on tape measurements. And I've compared its results to other methods in the past, even BodPod, and I found that the change is pretty much in parallel with those changes, meaning it's super reliable. So even though I did take the in-body scan for this at the request of Dr. Campbell, and, and I get why he wanted me to do it because of the ability to measure water change, my inner skepticism led me to also do the tape measurements and use the Navy formula, right? Just to compare them. And that's why I averaged the two to be conservative. So I already talked about how maybe I lost some muscle, maybe I didn't, and how much I lost is up for debate. Um, but I also lost a bunch of fat, which was the point. So the two things that affect that for this type of microcut are going to be the protein and your training. So if I had eaten more protein or if I had had a uh, closer to maximal intensity in my training, maybe I would have had less muscle loss, right? And that's always something to try out in the future if I ever run something like this again. So overall, I do count this fat loss phase as mostly successful because it did induce a rapid loss in fat that was in line with the expected from the deficit while minimizing muscle loss, right? But if I increase the protein, increase the training, maybe more muscle could be preserved. All right. So then this takes us to biofeedback. When you're in a fat loss phase, whether it's a normal one, a mini cut, or a micro cut, it is typical to expect some sort of decline in various measures of biofeedback because your energy availability is declining and the body is trying to compensate. It starts to become more efficient. It shuts things down. It downregulates your hormones. All of that stuff. You know, you don't have enough glycogen in your system. So now you're going to get more drained when you go train. And it's good to track this stuff. I track this stuff with my clients weekly so that we can use that as a data point of how what they're doing and what they're eating affects their body. So I like to measure seven indicators. And for this challenge or for this microcut, I did it before the challenge and I did it after the challenge. So I measured hunger, sleep, stress, energy, mood, digestion, recovery. And I'm not going to go through all of them here, but the biggest declines were hunger, energy, and recovery. So with the hunger, I definitely felt it on day one, but it was manageable. And then as early as day three, I really got more frequent hunger. It was both the physical hunger because you don't have calories coming in, but also, I'll be honest, emotional 
or psychological hunger because of number one, I was reducing how often I was eating. So now my body was thinking habitually like, where's this snack that I'm expecting at 3 p.m., for example? And, and that's kind of more of a, 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 a emotional hunger, really, because of the habit. Um, also, I reduced the amount of indulgences I had. And so some of my cravings weren't being satisfied as much as before. Not completely, though. I didn't eliminate them completely because that's, that's always the wrong approach to say, like, just cut everything out. No, 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 no. We don't do that. We say, okay, what can we fit in? Or what is kind of similar to our other indulgences, right? Like yogurt might be similar to ice cream. Maybe you don't want the ice cream, but you can have the yogurt. So hunger went down from a self-rated 10 out of 10. Like I had zero hunger before this because I was in a surplus. I was doing great. And afterward, I would say it was a four. Like it really, it, the hunger really ramped up, especially the final like two or three days. Again, physically and psychologically, because I'm anticipating the end of the, the cut. So that's hunger. Energy and recovery also dropped. So energy went from a nine to a five. And recovery went from an eight to a six. Um, the energy, early on, it wasn't affected, right? I think for the first week plus, everything felt great. Energy felt good. Um, my training felt fine. Didn't feel affected. But by the last four-day deficit block, two things. I was feeling more apathetic in the morning, like just not as motivated. And that was unusual for me. I mean, if you listen to this podcast and you see what a kind of, you know, high energy guy I am, I tend to be like that right from the time I get up until almost the time I go to bed. I mean, I do get, I do drag a little at night like most of us do. But um, in this case, I felt apathetic in the morning, which was unusual. And, and then I would really dragging in the evening. I mean, really just feeling exhausted. Um, of course, from the lack of energy, obviously. And what I did though, is when I felt that way, I would go for a walk. It sounds counterintuitive, right? Because you don't have the energy. So how do you have energy for a walk? But you know, walking doesn't take a lot of energy. I went for a walk and guess what? It improved my mood dramatically. It really did. So walking, I think, is an antidote to lots of things related to mood, anxiety, depressive symptoms of depression, and so on. Give it a shot when other things don't seem to be working. And then my recovery also took a hit as my performance dropped, as my glycogen was depleted. And it started to feel like the next training session was, I was kind of like, falling behind, if that makes sense. Like I would start the training session already feeling like I had been training as opposed to feeling super fresh. So all of these are symptoms to be expected. You know, hunger especially is an indication something's happening, but we want to find ways to mitigate it as much as possible and deal with it in, in constructive, positive ways so that we can execute our plan as we intend. Having said that, would I do a two-week fat loss phase again? I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. Some people in the challenge said, this was awesome. Like I didn't feel much hunger. It was fast. It was over with quickly and they would do it again. Now, I probably, if I ate more protein, like a lot more protein and I was training normally and all that, maybe next time I do it, I wouldn't feel it as much, for example, because we know protein is a really good way to make you full, to increase your satiety. And so that one variable right there could make a lot of difference. Okay. So about my training, I, I mentioned before, I have the uh, consistent three-day full-body routine. Um, I already told you about the lifts and what's in there, so I'm not going to repeat that. But I kept that. I did those Monday, Wednesday, Friday, both weeks, all good. Um, and then I maintained an average step count of 12,637. So my target was 12. I hit 12.6. My range was, the low day was 9.6. The high day was 154 Again, you don't have to get exactly 12 every day, just you know, some variations perfectly fine as long as you average out to what you're intending. 
Okay, so that, that was my personal experience. Now I want to talk about the experience from the challenge to see how other people did because it was actually quite similar to my results, which gives you a little bit of comfort in knowing that this is a, a fairly predictable thing. Like if you follow the protocol, you're probably going to get probably going to get similar results knowing that everybody is different. And as I mentioned before, seven participants went all the way through, completed it, provided their data, which is actually more than I expected. I expected maybe a couple people because it's it's a lot. Like I asked for a lot of data and they were committed. They made it happen. We had a we had a group chat going on where you could ask questions. I could do some coaching. We, I could send videos. It was a lot of fun. We'll probably do it again. If you like stuff like that, join the Wits and Weights community, Wits and Weights on Facebook. We're going to do stuff like that for sure. Also, my coaching program, I may, I may introduce like a semi-private version of coaching that has that similar feel. If you're interested in that, reach out to me because I'm only going to do it if I have enough people interested. For right now, my focus is mostly one-on-one. But in a semi-private program, I would still probably have a one-on-one piece to it or, or an option for it, like different tiers of coaching. So anyway, I'm getting off track. Seven participants completed what I called the Shredtober 14-Day Fat Loss Annihilation Challenge. Um, you know, nice clickbaity name. <laughs> so, um, all the participants consented to share their data in aggregated, anonymized form, and that's what I'm going to use right now. So first... Looking at the weight and measurement and expenditure changes. All right. It's not going to be nearly as much detail as as for my own. We're going to keep a high level here. So for body weight, scale weight, the minimum loss was 1.8. The maximum weight loss was 7.2 pounds. The average was 4.2 pounds. More importantly is the percent. The average percent weight loss was 2.8. So that's pretty good. 2.8% weight loss in just two weeks. Now, if you just do simple math, that means 1.4% a week. If you've listened to me before, you know that we never want to go more than 1% a week of weight loss when we're in a normal fat loss phase. But I've also explained that for this micro cut, you're going to end up around 1.2 to 1.4. And guess what? The average was 1.4 in reality. Awesome. Like this stuff works. Okay. So 2.8% weight loss on average. Circumference measurements, um, average waist size drop of 1.4 inches or about 4%. Average hips drop decrease, this is women only, of about an inch or 2.2%. The expenditure was kind of weird because the the minimum loss was actually a gain. So one person actually, their expenditure went up 76 calories. The biggest loss, one person dropped 500 calories. Now, the caveat here is if you hadn't been using Macrofactor for very long before starting, it may not have calculated your true expenditure yet. And so whatever number it had in there could have been artificially high or low. And therefore the delta at the end was artificially off. So I'm not going to read too much into it. But if you take the average drop in expenditure, it was 176 calories or 7%. Mine was 200. So it's kind of in that ballpark. Maybe you could expect the same. And if that happens, just know what that means in terms of your your calories. Now, we did not adjust our calories during this fat loss phase. We kept it exactly the same. So it didn't really matter whether it went up or down for your expenditure, like it normally would over a longer phase where you're adjusting it weekly, or at least with me, you're adjusting it weekly. So that's pretty cool. Um, All right. Then as far as the intake, so I actually split this into two groups. Out of the seven people, uh, a few didn't adhere fully, like they were actually over on their calories. And, a f- and the rest did. 
So if I were to take just the full adherence group, their um, average adherence was 101.8%. So it was pretty close, right? Their average protein adherence was 98.7%. If I took all the participants averaged, the adherence was a little high. It was 107.7, but the protein was, and the protein was a little low, 96.1. Interestingly, if you dig into the data though, even the few people that didn't fully adhere, they still got great results. Uh, which the takeaway again is you don't have to be perfect because this is so, so large of a deficit. Even if you don't quite hit it, you're probably way beyond what you normally would be and you're still going to get great results. The main thing is to keep the protein high. Okay. So the last thing about the challenge is um, I actually asked some more self-reflective questions in the final survey, and then I summarized these and to get you what the themes were of the challenge. So there were four themes that emerged. The first one is that most participants saw noticeable fat loss, especially around the midsection. Great. That's what we were going for. Many participants learned the value of high-protein diets and had an increase in their nutritional education in terms of making a calorie deficit more manageable. Awesome. That's what I'm all about. Let's learn. The third theme is improved self-confidence. Some people found the discipline from the challenge had a ripple effect on their mental well-being. Um, I even got a personal uh, video from someone in the challenge thanking me specifically for that, that they did not expect to learn so much about their their mental state and actually improve them for the better because they found what they were made of. They found what how they can push the limits with support and what they, what they like and what they don't, what they can and can't do, and it actually improved their mental state, which I love. And then the last theme was making progress. Most participants said they had met their goals, which weren't always the fat loss. It might have been, but it could have also been body recomp, staying on target with their macros, you know, getting a kickstart to further fat loss, whatever. Most people said, yeah, they, they met what their goal was for the challenge. Now, I also asked them about their next goal, and it's interesting because it's it, it was either uh, to lean bulk or body recomposition. Um, I, I do feel like somebody said they wanted to continue fat loss, but I sort of cautioned against it because once you've gone through such an aggressive two-week phase, my suggestion is to recover out of it first before you then resume into like a normal fat loss phase. Um, if you want to do a go fast, then go slow approach, I wouldn't go this aggressively or this fast to start because I think you get too much adaptation too quickly, too much of a drain in energy. And then you don't give yourself a chance to recover. So that's just my two cents. So some participants wanted to go to a lean bulk, right? They wanted to go back to a slight calorie surplus. And some people wanted to do some body recomp, go back to maintenance. Um, also, a lot of people wanted to just find a more sustainable rhythm since they had now learned some really good tools for choosing foods in the, the extremes and then carrying those principles into a much less extreme environment that actually makes it really easy. I also asked about their training just to make sure everybody was training the way they wanted to. And there are a whole mix of programs, but the recurring theme was progressive overload. And training four to six days was very common. So, which makes a lot of sense because a lot of my um, community members and clients are already, um, say, late novice or intermediate trainees who are up to like four day splits or five day power building programs or six day bodybuilding programs, things like that. And so that's pretty common. I didn't want any newbies who'd never trained doing this challenge. Um, daily steps, the average step count ranged from four to 14 and a half and the group average was 10.1K. So 10,107 steps. And then everyone seemed to be committed to maintaining some level of daily activity regardless of the step count. 
What did participants love the most? Two things, community and simplicity. They loved the group setting, the accountability, the motivation. It kept everyone going and engaged. And we talked every day. And when people were down on themselves a little bit, we lifted them up. It was awesome. The second thing was simplicity. Several people found that this challenge was easier to adhere to than expected. And that was a huge one because I didn't, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen. But within about four or five days, people were saying, you know what, this isn't so bad. Like it's a big deficit, but we've got the support. We're eating a lot of protein. We're learning to choose foods for satiety and volume and so on. We're training. Wow. This is like the right way to do it, even though it's a very fast, uh, abridged way to do it. Okay. So that's the challenge results. I hope that was enlightening in some way to, to, to give you some relief to know that this is doable and it doesn't have to feel extreme. And so, you know, based on my personal anecdotal experience in my self-experiment, based on the experience of the challenge and all these wonderful people in our community, I think that a rapid fat loss phase can be an effective way to lose fat quickly while preserving muscle mass. Now, now there are some limitations of this. So before I get to the findings and my recommendations, the short duration means that large scales, large swings in scale weight um, for reasons other than body fat can actually have a larger impact on the measurements in that short period than if you were in a longer fat loss phase, right? Like your weight is more sensitive to those. So that's one thing to watch out for. Um, the second thing is body fat measurement is just not precise. I'm not going to beat a dead horse. I already talked about that. The third is I didn't fully adhere to the protein intake. I was like 4% under. So I might have had better results if I had, like with my lean mass retention. The next one is that expenditure data may not be quite reflective of reality because of how rapidly everything was changing. And this, the main thing is that this could affect how you calculate your calories and macros coming out of the diet, post-diet recovery. In that case, I would recommend just going back to what your maintenance was two weeks before initially, and then letting it kind of catch up to where your true maintenance is. The other thing is, and this is really important, so listen to me carefully here, if you're thinking, oh, I really want to do this. This protocol can be challenging for people who are not physiologically or mentally prepared to execute it properly. So before everyone throws their hands up and says, oh man, this is like rapid dieting, this is quick fix, crash dieting. Hopefully I've indicated through all this episode that that's not the case, but I do want you to be prepared. These are some things that could happen if you don't execute it properly. Okay. The first is you're going to get much greater muscle loss. If you don't have enough protein intake, you're going to lose a bunch of muscle when you go this quickly. It's why most fat loss faces are not anywhere near this. You might get micronutrient deficiencies if you don't choose nutrient dense foods. You're going to get an energy deficiency. And if you don't do it right, it could affect your training. It could affect your recovery and biofeedback more than it would otherwise. You're going to get faster metabolic adaptation, right, than typical fat loss phases. So don't look at this as a jumpstart. Look at this as one and done, get back and recover. You could be prone to binge eating if the hunger becomes overwhelming. Now, you shouldn't have this if you were training and eating the protein and walking and all that and choosing foods the right way. But if anything is not done correctly, you get the same result that you do in a crash diet where you just get so ravenous that you overeat, right? And we don't want to do that. Another thing is the temptation to continue past the 14 days, right? Oh, I'm on day 14. It's, it hasn't been so bad. And look at all this weight I lost. Let me go another week. And then another week after that. No, don't do that. that that's not sustainable at the end of the day. Um, I'm not, I mean, I'm not going to discourage personal self-experimentation, whatever you want to do. It's your choice. But uh, for this protocol, I would not recommend continuing, period. 
And then the last thing is that the refeed days may not be sufficient if you don't fully take advantage of them. So let's say you don't quite eat up to the calories or you don't really increase the carbs that much. Well, you're not getting the benefit of the refeed day. All right, so enough doom and gloom. (laughs) Here are my recommendations. Um, Well, here, a couple findings and then my seven lessons that uh, you've you've all been waiting for. Okay, the the very short duration, the fourteen days, might be an acceptable trade off with the significant calorie deficit, because the symptoms of biofeedback, right, the hunger, poor sleep, poor energy, mood recovery, the loss of strength, are either going to be very short lived, like you might not even notice them until toward the end of the two weeks, or or minimized altogether. You may not have them at all. Like some people didn't experience hunger, right? So that's kind of where this trade-off comes in. This phase is not, you know, quote-unquote sustainable in the sense that you could continue it beyond this period without significant muscle loss, but the principles can still be applied. And by pushing the limits like we do here, you can still learn a ton about yourself, which is where I think the value is. Okay, so here are my seven lessons or recommendations for anyone who's following this protocol. You ready? Number one, I would increase protein even further than the one gram per pound. I would aim for 1.2 to 1.5. Just aim for it. If you fall short, you'll fall about where you need to be. And if you hit it, you might find even better results in terms of lean mass retention. So it doesn't hurt to try that. Number two, select all of your foods based on satiety and nutrient density. So when you're doing your meal plan, every time you make a choice, think about its ability to keep you full. So things like protein, things like white potatoes, right? And nutrient density doesn't have a lot of nutrients in it, fruits, vegetables, and so on. The third lesson is to just, it's kind of related to what I just said, but it's a very specific recommendation for everybody. (laughs) Increase your consumption of fibrous vegetables and high volume foods, period. Okay. And whether or not that like ties into the satiety index or nutrient density, it, it will, but I want you to just. Think of every opportunity throughout the day, snacks, lunch, dinner, to throw in greens, 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 veggies, all the veggies that you love, raw, cooked, whatever, you know, keep them steamed or roasted with minimal oils and uh, high volume foods, things with water, soups, just like throw those all into your meal plan right from day one. It's going to help a lot. Number four, try shifting the refeed days around your hardest training days. Now, in this protocol, the refeed days were fixed at days five and 10, but why not experiment? Maybe you shift it up one day or back one day and see if it aligns better with your training. Because in my case, it didn't always line up and I probably could have gotten more use out of a refeed day if it was shifted by one day. So that, that's a more advanced thing to try. That, that, that's what I would do next time. Number five, get enough sleep, please. This is always important, but really look at your calendar and plan out this fat loss phase on a, in a time where you can definitely get the full seven, eight, hours of sleep or even more every single day because it's going to go a long way in terms of your expenditure, your recovery, your energy, how you feel, everything, and your mental state. Number six, maintain a high training stimulus. Okay, that's, that's by default as part of this challenge, but balance the volume for recovery. So just be aware that if you are training six days a week or five days a week right now and you continue that into the fat loss phase, you may have a lot of volume. You may. I don't know. I don't know what your program looks like. I mean, if they're 30-minute sessions, you may not. But if they're like typical power building sessions, you may have to cut something out and plan to do that, but still keep the compound lifts and the the low rep, high intensity stuff in there. Okay. 
And then number seven, maintain a high step count no matter what. And I would aim for at least 12,000. If you can get something like 15,000 on average to increase your energy flux, your metabolic rate, and avoid all other cardio, it may help even more, right? So those are my seven lessons. Um, there are probably a lot more with everything else I said today. And again, if you want the rapid fat loss guide, you go to witsandweights.com slash free. Okay, so there you have it. Everything you could possibly know about doing a rapid fat loss phase or a microcut so you can make your own informed decision about whether it's right for you. And again, if you want the exact protocol, just click the link in my show notes or go to witsandweights.com slash free and look for the free rapid fat loss guide. In our next episode, 117, starting strength, the novice effect and barbell lifts with Cody Anino. Cody and I talk about the transformative power of barbell training. You'll learn the principles and benefits of the starting strength program. Very popular, one that I follow that I recommend to so many people because it's so effective. You'll learn some common misconceptions about strength training and the critical, crucial, novice effect. We'll compare different training methods, look at how barbell training impacts mental health, and touch on the future of online versus in-person coaching in the fitness world. As always, stay strong, and I'll talk to you next time here on the Wits and Weights podcast. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Wits and Weights. If you found value in today's episode and know someone else who's looking to level up their wits or weights, please take a moment to share this episode with them and make sure to hit the follow button in your podcast platform right now to catch the next episode. Until then, stay strong. Hey, before you go, I want to let you know about a free resource I have. They are free guides on everything from fat loss to eating out to building muscle to managing hunger to figuring out the best macros for you and more being added all the time. You want to get the most out of these podcasts and your time to look and feel your best, and these free guides will give you a quick and easy way to know what to do. If you want to get your hands on these completely free guides, you can head over to witsandweights.com slash free. That's witsandweights.com slash free to get your free guides and level up your results today.